we mentioned in the last uh, part of this talk, the first part of this talk, <coughs> that um, a, a little, even a little sort of uh, attentive listening and uh, curiosity into into different uh, teachers' uh, positions or teachings on what awakening is uh, and what stream entry is. Um, just even within, uh, say, Theravadan-based teachings um, or Pali Canon-based teachings, and even within the insight meditation tradition, just a little kind of attentive listening, reading, etc., over a range of voices of both teachers and uh, fellow practitioners, um, quickly kind of, it will quickly become obvious that um, despite a lot of uh, obviously similar vocabulary that's, uh, you know, taken from the tradition, Dukkha, End of Dukkha, Four Noble Truths, etc., etc., despite the, the, the sort of similarity of vocabulary there's actually a quite a wide range of interpretations of what awakening uh, and and uh, the different stages of awakening such as stream entry the first stage um, what the Buddha outlined as the first stage um, quite quite a range of interpretations of what these words mean uh, there, there are many kind of uh, takes on that and I think that's good. Uh, I'm I'm pleased that there are many. I think that different uh, different takes or different visions of awakening and different ideas uh, about it and different kind of uh, notions of what it encompasses um, will suit different people, and that's important. So I I really actually uh, think that the diversity. In the in the modern Theravadan tradition and the modern Pali Canon tradition, insight meditation tradition, the plurality there, the divergence there, the lack of agreement there, I think that's important and and healthy and and actually necessary these days. And more and more for myself, um, kind of uh, engaging in uh, or even just hearing other people, um, kind of argue about etymology of certain words and um, quibble over texts in the Pali Canon uh, at trying to insist on just one interpretation or of a certain word or um, or a passage uh, as if it's the only true uh, possible interpretation or the correct interpretation narrow it down uh, narrow down the hermeneutic possibilities that way seems to me where I am right now at this point in my practice and life um, which is different than, than uh, what it was before uh, but it seems a little bit silly now to me to so something that I would have kind of engaged in myself a fair amount and put quite a lot of stock by seems um, seems a little bit silly to me now this kind of arguing about etymology and words and picking over texts and and that kind of thing uh, in in that way. That's just my personal feeling at this point in my uh, development life practice.
and I'll return to that, uh, perhaps why why I'm, I, I feel that way. Um, and related to what I said in the first talk, I feel there are other ways to orient to this question of what is uh, what is awakening, um, rather than going back to the text and quibbling about uh, word meanings. There are others, other ways which I feel for some people or some people at certain points in their uh, path, trajectory of practice, are perhaps more fruitful, um, more interesting, uh, and uh, and actually more more helpful. Um, so there are other ways to orient, which which we'll return to, and um, and also as I mentioned in the first talk, I I feel it's important to realize to be aware of why am I adopting uh, any view? I have a view. This is awakening. Or this is what this word means. It's like why? What's going on um, for me that I lean towards this view, or grasp at that view, or insist on this view, or adopt? that view, whatever it is. <clears throat> so, uh, you know, for example, uh, uh, stream entrance, Sotopanna, is, is as, as I said, the Buddha in the Pali Canon talked about different stages of awakening. Um, stream entrance being the first stage, the beginning stage, once returner, non-returner, second and third stages, Arahant, the fully enlightened, the final stage. And uh, someone told me that they were speaking to a, a fellow retreatant after retreat, and, and that retreatant uh, was saying um, that he thought he was a stream enterer, or considered himself a stream enterer, because, because uh, um, he could go with the flow. Uh, and I'm not sure where he heard that idea, not important, but um, that he could go with the flow uh, in life, and that made him what the Buddha called a stream entry, because streams flow, and if you're in the stream, you're going with the flow, uh, perhaps. Um, so we could get into a whole argument with that, and uh, say, well, the, the Buddha did not teach going with the flow. It's not. It's, it's very hard. You could trawl through the Pali Canon, and there's very little kind of uh, language about going with flow, or even that kind of uh, trope or, or um, tenor of things, you know. Um, going with the flow is quite a, a kind of modern Western notion. Um, the Buddha did talk about flow uh, in, in the word samsara. Um, so sa- samsara um, it, one meaning of it is is the the flow, the flowing on. Um, sara is from the root sur, and uh, in in Pali and Sanskrit, and and that actually means to flow. Um, and it was exactly this flow that the Buddha was interested in stopping, um, stopping that flowing on, ending it, ending samsara. Um, so there's very little, we could get into a whole argument, there's very little textual support in the Pali Canon for teachings about going with the flow, or you could say there was there was a teaching of flow, which is samsara, which is really problematic, and then there's this teaching of stream entry, uh, where with a lot of effort and with a lot of striving and diligence, and these are the Buddha's words, um, one attains to a stage which which uh, one has seen something or understood something or something has opened or changed 
in the being that forms a kind of um, uh, platform uh, for further realization um, and uh, a kind of, uh, if you like, uh, uh, platform b- b- which one cannot fall from. So one cannot go back, one, one progresses inevitably from this. One has entered a stream that will take one inevitably. It's a different kind of stream, one could say. So there's the, the stream of samsara, the sara of samsara, and there's another kind of stream that leads towards awakening. Uh, <clears throat> so rather than arg- argue all that, which, as I said to me, doesn't, just seems a bit silly now, um, for different reasons I'll, I'll mention as we go on. Um, I'm more interested in, in what's going on that someone would adopt such a view uh, and believe. I, I feel like I'm a stream entry now because I go with the flow, and that's my understanding of it. It's, you can, I mean, that's what I'm more interested in. What's the motivation? What's going on um, that's kind of, as I said, directing, propelling, inclining the adoption of such a view and such a self-view? Um, it's, you know, don't know. It's, as I said, it's quite a, uh, a kind of contemporary Western idea, this idea of going with the flow. Um, I mean, you could trace it to certain Taoist ideas and stuff like that. Um, it's a, it's a very simple idea, and uh, simple ideas, and certainly ideas that are popular in the culture, can be attractive. They're attractive because they make sense to us, and they sound simple to us because we're familiar with them. Um, it's also a relatively kind of low bar for what um, the first stage of awakening is. So it's it's quite easy to understand what it means because we're kind of, or at least it seems easy. But actually, if you probe into what does it mean to, to flow to, to go with the flow. So if uh, neo-Nazis come to power, I just go with the flow. Um, uh, it's actually, it's, it's a deceptively simple, it's not really a simple idea, but it seems simple, and it also seems like relatively easy to attain. Uh, and so it might be, I'm not saying it is for this person or was for this person, but it might be that what's going on is that because it's a popular, relatively simple-sounding idea, because it sounds like it's relatively easy to attain such a such a thing as going with the flow, um, or pretty much going with the flow in one's life as a kind of, what, lifestyle? I don't know. Um, then uh, it might be attractive. Again, I'm not insisting or claiming that that is what was going on for this person. I don't know because I said it was second-hand. Um, but I'm more interested in what's actually going on. What's the motivation? What's what's propelling me to adopt this or that idea of what awakening is and what it looks like, a vision of it, an image of it, and also a self-view in relationship to it. So, actually, if we do... To, to go back to the text just a little bit, having said all that, um, when the Buddha kind of outlined um, what the different stages of awakening and what was involved in each, and he didn't say that much about it, actually. Um, he, uh, in relation to stream entry, he, des- he describes, uh, well, in relation to all stages of awakening, he describes ten fetters. And... Uh, the different stages of awakening are uh, 
uh, sort of remove or severely um, attenuate uh, different of those fetters. So an arahant has destroyed, eradicated, once and for all and for good, all of the ten fetters. A stream entry, the first stage, um, has uprooted three fetters. And those fetters are um, doubt, um, attachment to rites and rituals, is the way it's usually translated as a second, and a third, sakaya um, ditiya, usually translated as something like personality view or the theory of individuality or something like that. Um, but again, it's it's quite it's not an easy um, it's not an easy proposition to us. What actually exactly is meant by each of those three fetters? So even that that one um, attachment to rites and rituals, one has um, disregarded that. I've heard many different interpretations of that. Some say it's not being attached to. Uh, believing rituals will have a magical effect in one's life. Some people say it's not being attached to um, practice, meditation, or certain styles of meditation over others and insisting this is the right way, that's the right way. You have to meditate like this. No, you have to meditate like that. Um, um, and especially when we get to this one about uh, this Sakaya Ditti, um, this is uh, really interesting. What does that mean? Um, so, I don't know the history of that term, but just a little kind of rummaging around makes me wonder um, whether it was a term, uh, Sakaya, was uh, a term that already pre-existed the Buddha. It was something he picked up, and it might have been a positive term, and he said, no, you need to get rid of that. It's not, it's not um, an experience or a view you want to attain, you want to get rid of it. So the renunciation, the letting go, the seeing through of um, ditti means views, um, uh, or some people translate it as theory, I'll come back to that. Um, but the letting go of this sakaya ditti. When we look, uh, just, just dwell on this for a little bit, when we um, ask, well, what does this mean, this sakaya ditti? I know the translation. Uh, or the most common translations, put it that way, personality view or individuality theory or something like that, the theory of the individual, um, Sakaya Ditti. In Pali, Sakaya is actually what's called a compound word, which means it's two words jammed together, like they have in German and some other languages. And those two words are, so we spell it, Sakaya, S-A-K-K-A-Y-A, S-A-K-K-A-Y-A. And that compound is actually made up of two words, um, sat and kaya. So S-A-T and uh, one word, and the other word is kaya. Um, what happens when you jam the words together in a compound is they, the, the, the T kind of elides with the K, and you just make it a, a double K. Um, so sat kaya ditti is actually short for sat kaya ditti. So you've got two words there, sat and kaya. Kaya, the second word, is quite an interesting word. So it means body, um, but just as in English, that 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 word body uh, has different meanings. So it means body as certainly um, the uh, this this physical body, um, but even then, it has it carries a second meaning often of 
like we have in English, body as a sort of um, group or collection or a mass of things um, or a totality of things. So we talk about in English a body of work um, or a body of people um, or a body of water, uh, for example. Um, so it also in Pali carries this kind of double meaning. Um, sometimes the physical body uh, was also regarded as uh, a collection, a heap, uh, a, a kind of, you know, bag of stuff. Um, of what of the four great elements: earth, air, fire, and water. Um, so kaya has this kind of double meaning. It also can mean uh, the term for kind of an organ, the organ of touch. I mean, you touch with with your kaya, you experience touch with your kaya. So like the eye is the organ of vision, the mind is the organ of thought, the kaya is the organ of touch. Um, uh, it can also be kind of just the, the locus or the seat of sensation or awareness. Uh, it can also be regarded as that which we act through. So it has an ethical component because we are... Uh, uh, you know, we're responsible for our actions, we're judged on our actions, and this is what um, acts in the world, is the kaya. Um, then you got uh, this word sat, and sat's an interesting word, and it can mean, as some of you will know from the Hindu traditions, being, or um, existing, or being present, that's one of the meanings. Um, so then you would have the the existing or the existent body, uh, the, the the belief, the theory, and the view of the existent body. This is what we're giving up, or the uh, the view that this collection of elements um, exists in some real way. So sat can also mean a real or actual. Like you know, satya is the word for uh, truth in Four Noble Truths. Um, so. What the, the belief that this group of elements is somehow real? What's real? The group or the or the individual elements? Um, it can be. It can also mean this word that which is that which is real. So this like really existent um, or the true body, if you like. So I'm giving up with stream entry belief in a, uh, a true body. It can also mean sometimes in, in a compound this way, satkaya, satkaya, um, that which is possessed of what a kaya, possessed of this body or this uh, heap or ag collection of, of elements. So I'm not believing in something that possesses all this. And it can also mean living. Sat is to live, to be, to exist, to live. So I'm, I'm not what believing or believing in a, in, in a theory of, um, of the living body. Um, so you can see actually a word like sakaya is, is, uh, is um, you know, quite, quite a, uh, uh, open to, to slightly different interpretations there. Um, uh, often, as I said, it's translated as um, personality views, sakkaya ditti, um, or identification with the aggregates. Um, the second word, ditti, is uh, usually, usually translated as view, uh, sometimes opinion, but some translations say theory. And I... To, to me, that, that translation doesn't actually really work that well because um, uh, 
you know, uh, if I uh, speak to my mum about what her theory of personality is or her theory of self is, she'll she'll say, "What the hell are you talking about?" Um, and uh, if I if I just well, well, can you explain what how you conceive of the self? I I don't don't think she <laughs> I think she would just cut short the conversation. Uh, she has no theory of self as as something kind of an intellectual position to articulate. So sometimes people kind of say this giving up of sakaya ditti, this this fetter there in at stream entry is a kind of giving up of any intellectual position or holding this uh, intellectual view or that or positing this or that about the self um, but for me it has to be something much more fundamental than a theory and there are plenty of people in the world who have no no theory of self at all and uh, I think I think one would be hard pushed to, to call them um, uh, awakened or, or stream enters or whatever sometimes it's Sakaya Diti I've heard I've heard uh, some people uh, Interpret it as meaning just the um, the ending or the you know the radical kind of quiet quietening uh, or the you know uh, quietening a lot of the inner critic. Uh, it's quite interesting that that view arises. It, you know, again historically, it's a particular, uh, particularly um, sort of modern and modern. Uh, I'd say modern Western view. Um, because there's so much pain around the inner critic, and so much of uh, when of, of the kind of suffering people have once they've got the basic prerequisites, and they're really quite affluent and have a lot of um, material wealth and ease and comfort in their life, um, and all of that, but they're really suffering with the inner critic, and so it kind of uh, makes sense to sort of fit the framework of the inner critic to the Buddha's teachings, or fit the, Buddha's, the framework of the Buddha's teachings to the to the um, inner critic, and that's what's predominant in one's life. And so the freedom from that, um, either completely or to a large extent, is is you know in a few few people I've heard, not not very many, regarded as street stream entry or the sorry the ending of this fetter, which is the kind of most significant fetter with stream entry. This um, uh, ending of Sakaya Diti, letting go of Sakaya Diti. <clears throat> um, and other people, uh, this Sakaya Diti, or personality view, or view of in, in the individual, or self view, you know, whatever, um, uh, is uh, the the realization of the um, letting go, of, or the cutting of that fetter, the removal of that fetter, is to realize that. Um, what this self is, is a process. And that realization, I realize what the self is, it's a process. It's a process of the psychophysical aggregates in time. It's a process of the uh, bodily processes and the processes of Vedana and perception and mental formations and consciousness um, moment to moment in time. And... uh, uh, to realize that that is the true nature of the self um, is to uh, to to realize uh, in, in that view the emptiness of self or to let go of personality view and let go of this third fetter. Um, so that that views around as as well and uh, quite a lot in certain circles. 
Um, the Buddha also talks about often it's a slightly enigmatic, puzzling phrase because it's never, it's, to my knowledge, it's never in the Pali Canon really explained exactly what it means. Um, but you often hear stories um, of such and such a person um, attaining stream entry, and the kind of epithet for that is um, his or her Dharma eye was opened. There was the opening of the Dharma eye at that point, and it's a kind of epithet for uh, stream entry. Opening of the Dharma eye. What does that mean? I'm not aware of any place where it's actually explained exactly what that means. The opening of the Dharma eye. I I I wonder. Might it be any of these uh, that we've um, that we've uh, 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 you know uh, mentioned? Any any of these kind of um, takes or interpretations of what what that what's involved in stream entry, and particularly what's involved in the letting go of that fetter of sakaya ditti. Um, might it also be when the Dharma, it's like what's central in the Dharma? When the Buddha talks about after awaking, this Dharma is hard to see, hard to fathom, discernible only by the wise, etc. It's slightly ambiguous by, uh, it's slightly ambiguous what he's talking about at that point, what he means by this Dharma that's hard to see, hard to attain, etc., in that quote, and I'm not sure if I should bother teaching it because I don't think people will understand. Um, but at least part of it in that quote um, says this dharma something something, namely dependent, namely paticca samuppada, the dependent um, co-arising, dependent origination. Um, so that's at least all of it. So opening the dharma eye might be just because of. Um, that that sort of centrality of that notion of dependent origination, uh, when the Buddha talks about the Dharma, this is the Dharma. It's like the, it's like the nutshell kind of thing of of his sense of what the Dharma is. Then perhaps opening the Dharma eye, uh, don't know what it might mean, but might it mean this um, understanding of dependent origination? Might it mean that understanding experientially for oneself, not just intellectually? But then we just have another problem. So what does it mean to understand dependent origination? Because again, if you've listened to enough teachings, if you've read enough books, if you've asked enough questions, etc., you'll see that, again, the range of interpretations of of what dependent origination means or points to or is getting at or even the, the kind of um, level of existence at which it applies and... and uh, what, what understanding of it uh, not just involves but also delivers, all of that is up for grabs. And you know, I know some of you know my, my version, which would, um, or my preferred take, would be quite different from, from some others. So we've still got that question. Other times, uh, other instances, and again, uh, some of you will have um, heard me stress this and point it out in various talks in the past, the Buddha says uh, several times, not just once, um, something like, that dimension should be known, monks, nuns, that dimension should be known where there is no seeing, there is no hearing, there is no smelling, tasting, touching, no thinking, imagining, or mental perception. Um, that sphere should be known. Um, and other times he talks about it being beyond perception, the cessation of um, perception, um, 
no uh, no form, no no mental factors, no uh, no sun, no moon, no coming, no going, no stopping, no starting, no long, no short, no coarse, no fine, um, and th- there's many kinds of. Uh, uh, passages in 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 the texts um, pointing to this kind of dimension beyond uh, perception, beyond the fabrication of perception, and is it it's uh, clear that what the Buddha is talking about then is that this dimension, that dimension, should be known, um, and he's talking about what what we call the unfabricated. There is not at that point in the descriptions that he give gives uh, there's not um, the fabrication of perception. And that dimension should be known, in the should be known, it's not saying it's just, there's this kind of cool experience that some of you may want to check out. Um, it should be known, that dimension should be known, um, is, is the grammatical construction there. And should be known, the implication is for awakening, for or by an awakened person, or to be called an awakened person or whatever, that dimension should be known. So you've got, you know, and again, uh, having said I'm not that interested in making cases for this or that, I, I just want to sort of lay a few things out. It's like, if you go to the Pali Canon, these are the kind of things you find and um, sort of spill them on the table and say, well, how does all this fit together? Does it fit together? Um, uh, but but in a way, that's secondary to the main point that I'm interested in. Um, with regard to the unfabricated and that dimension that should be known that the Buddha talks about uh, uh, quite a few times in the Pali Canon, um, some there's there's uh, we're really at the edge, if not actually beyond what language can articulate uh, in in the description or 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 the pointing to the indication of that that dimension that should be known, the unfabricated. So, um, sometimes the Buddha talks about it as, uh, as a kind of awareness, um, a kind of consciousness, consciousness without limit, without feature, or uh, consciousness without an object. Consciousness without an object, awareness without an object. Um, sometimes the Buddha articulates this unfabricated that way. At other times, he makes it very clear that it is not the same as consciousness or awareness. And it only the, the opening to it only arises with, um, in, in, and he, he actually says, with the cessation, with the complete cessation of all six consciousnesses. In other words, um, the consciousness of seeing, sight, smell, taste, touch, Sound, sound, and uh, and uh, mental consciousness, thought, imagery, etc. With the cessation of those consciousness, there is this there is this opening to this other thing, and he and he talks about it more in the negative. So sometimes it's kind of put in the positive, either as consciousness or as some other kind of positive, and sometimes more often than not, it's put in the negative. Um. We're at the point in, in, as I said, in trying to articulate or even point to uh, uh, that uh, 
that dimension that should be known, that unfabricated. The Buddha was at the point, anyone uh, who tries to articulate or describe that is at the point that uh, language cannot do justice. And so you get contradictory statements, paradoxical statements, um, completely cryptic statements, all that. Um, just in what I've said so far, in terms of is it awareness, is it not awareness, etc., um, it's clear that, you know, in, in a way we could say this is not simple. What's being pointed to here is not simple. Um, it's, not, or at least it's, it's not simple for us to understand. What does that mean? The cessation of all consciousnesses. What does that mean? Um, we can't conceive of that other than, most people wouldn't be able to conceive that other than being either completely dead in the, in the modernist sense of word or, or in a coma or under anesthetic or something or other. So in a way there's something here that's really not simple for us to grasp. Um, not simple for uh, 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 not simple for, for a consciousness that hasn't opened it to, to, to grasp or hasn't at least moved significantly in that direction to, to grasp. You could say it's not simple. You could say it's so utterly simple, it's um, beyond the the kind of level of simplicity that the mind can get to, or that the usual mind can get to, put it that way, the conditioned mind can get to. It's simpler than awareness. It's simpler than oneness. It's simpler even than nothingness. So, just to point to difficulties with language, which are part of the inheritance of, I think, um, particularly this area around awakening, and particularly the area, uh, the, or the, the constellation of texts around, um, that, that, that describe or point to, um, or teach the unfabricated. You get similar um, problems with language around emptiness. Um, starting in the Pali Canon, for sure, but picked up even more and exacerbated over, um, you know, a couple of thousand years, really, of Mahayana teachings. Um, and then uh, what you get, and I include myself in this uh, at times, uh, is teachers being um, at times very precise in their use of language with, with uh, the concept of emptiness, and at times, you know, quite sloppy, and, and the concept being used in different ways at different times uh, and quite s- s- uh, in a quite a slippery way. And then on top of that, different traditions using the same words like emptiness and meaning very, very different Buddhist traditions. Same word meaning very, very different things. Very, almost diametrically opposed um, meanings of what that word means. And all this gives rise to a lot of confusion um, for the modern practitioner in in what does this word emptiness mean? What's it pointing to? What is involved in a realization of emptiness, etc.? Um, just briefly on this, you know, uh, so what's my response? What's your response to hearing all that? Uh, it can be quite frustrating as, as, a, as a student, as a practitioner, you know, to kind of be in the thicket of a bewildering uh, and very, um, as I said, slippery uh, kind of use, uh, range and use of, of a single concept. Um, so what does, it, what does it do to you? Does it make you want to kind of 
jack the whole thing in and give up? Does it? Do I? Do you hear it and um, think, oh, that's all just intellectual and fussy, um, and I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to fuss like that. I don't want to be involved in that kind of fussing, or is it important? Something like I really want to find out what are these two, you know, actually more than way more than two. It's like what are these all these different strands of tradition, these different teachers? What are they saying? What exactly is the difference? And where do I stand in all this? And what do I gravitate to? And what what uh, unf- what where, where is my what can I see in my practice? Is it over fussiness or is it important fussiness? What is at stake here in this? Um, profusion and confusion of uh, uh, and, and difficulties with, with language and terms. And again, why do I have the response that I have? That it feels really important to me or it just feels like a bunch of silly intellectuals arguing over how many angels fit on, a, on the head of a pin or whatever the phrase is. Why? What's going on for me? Is it, or in what way is it, or is it not a soul question? For me, if I was going to, uh, as I said, spill out the, the pieces of the Pali Canon, different references, etc., pull them on the table and see kind of what, how, how does that jigsaw, how do those pieces of a jigsaw kind of fit together? Um, and also what makes sense for my practice. But um, uh, uh, I, I guess I would say, um, what does this Dharma I mean? Uh, it, it means knowing the unfabricated um, experientially. But that knowing of the unfabricated, pursuing this meditative exploration into less and less fabrication, as I've described in, in a lot of detail elsewhere, um, also means um, understanding dependent origination. In other words, in pursuing this question of fabrication, how does the self sense, how does the sense of various objects in my perception? How does the world sense get fabricated? In what ways? And and with what conditions? How does it get built, fabricated, constructed, sankarted? Um, And how not? And how much less? And and understanding that uh, everything is a dependent rising, that everything, everything is a fabrication and how it is fabricated. So these two, the experience and the unfabricated, should be um, intimately tied in with understanding um, uh, the fabrication of all phenomena, um, that they are fabricated and how they are fabricated. In other words, understanding dependent origination, not just intellectually, but in one's experience, and through one's experience, includes the intellectual understanding and actually I would say to a certain level where it goes beyond intellectual understanding because there is the dissolving of the concepts and the elements involved. Um, those two go together, the knowing of the unfabricated and, and the thorough deep understanding of dependent origination. And they, that means the same thing as the knowing of, of the emptiness of things, or it's involved in that trajectory. To understand that something is a dependent rising, that it's fabricated, means to know it's empty.
Um, sometimes um, a practitioner um, in the again in 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 the in the broad range of uh, practitioners of sort of different sub traditions of ter- modern Theravada and Pali Canon inspired um, Dharma. Um, sometimes people report and they reported to me uh, uh, and, and other teachers, etc. Um, a cessation experience, what's called a cessation experience, the cessation of perception. In other words, um, the non-fabrication of perception. So, an experience of what we could call non-fab- non-fabricating or the unfabricated. Uh, now, when someone reports an experience like that, it's actually, it, 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 it can be quite tricky, but again, based on the language, it's it's really a struggle to articulate what that experience is or how it is. So, um, someone can report an experience and mm, could be, could, could not be. Um, and this is where the wisdom of, uh, though I will dwell on this for a second, the wisdom of the Buddha comes in, in, in focusing more on the fetters. Well, what's gone now? What's changed now? Not so much what was that experience, because the, partly because the difficulty in describing it is, is actually enormous. So people could be describing, I've heard someone, I remember being a, on, on a, a, a student on a retreat, uh, on retreat and, and in a group interview, and someone described um, what sounded very much to me like, just his first experience of the first jhana, and what he said was everything disappeared. Um, and it wasn't until he was asked a few more questions that it was very clear that everything did not disappear. This is quite common as one goes through the jhanas. One hasn't quite ascertained or discerned that some stuff has disappeared there. So in the first jhana, hindrances have for sure disappeared, and in in a, in a lot of cases, the solidity of the body uh, perception has disappeared. But a lot of stuff is remaining. For instance, perception as subject and object, and time and um, uh, PT as as the main experience. All that remains. Sukha, you know. Um, so when people say everything disappeared, um, it. it uh, a, there's a language difficulty, and B, there's a discernment um, uh, question there as well. Of like, really, did everything disappear, or was there other stuff remaining? Um, so, for instance, all perception form can disappear in the fifth jhana. It does disappear in the fifth jhana, and um, uh, a person can say everything disappeared, or or in in the seventh jhana, in the realm of nothingness, and. Um, uh, actually, there is still something there. What's the something? It's the nothing in in the seventh jhana. A nothing, a perception of nothing still remains. So you see how subtle this gets, how deep it gets. To say there was a cessation, um, everything disappeared, there was a cessation of all perception. It goes very, very deep uh, in terms of the um, more refined perceptions that remain and that can then be transcended. But even if one thinks, well, maybe this person did have a cessation experience, what what my experience as a teacher is that that cessation experience, cessation of perception, uh, may or may not bring a freedom with it. And in in some instances, unfortunately, it just gives just seems to give rise over time to clinging, clinging to that experience or clinging to the memory of it. And person looks at their life, and sometimes, you know, uh, an authority, a 
Sayadaw, someone has said, no, no, it's stream entry. And the person says, um, but I don't feel any different. And and the Sayadaw says, no, you're a stream entry now. Um, sometimes what happens is a person has an experience and actually there's not much freedom coming out of it. Or even worse, the, 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 experience, the, the effect of it is to cause a little bit of clinging. Um, and and sometimes a kind of um, devaluing of of the the, the world of perception, um, or or a du- or a dualism. There's that fantastic thing, and all this around me is just rubbish. Um, in other words, their experience of the unfabricated, um, they have arrived at it. It has opened up in a way. Um, through through ex, uh, intense non-clinging in a moment, so there's not the fabricating, and then there's the opening to the unfabricated. But because they haven't been exploring in a way that prioritizes the exploration of um, fabrication, fabricating more, fabricating less, um, to the dependent arising of perception, that hasn't been a theme. They've just been, for instance, contemplating impermanence really fast or something. Um, then what you get is this um, kind of amazing opening to an experience. And, and it's so different from ordinary worldly experience, so different from the realm of perception, which is all this. Um, and it seems to have nothing to do. Those two realms of um, perception and um, the transcending of perception, the fabricated and the unfabricated, seem to have nothing to do with each other. There's a... a, a a, a radical dualistic split, and that the function of that split sometimes um, can be helpful in one's life. There's this kind of there is something beyond, and that kind of shines through on this life or implies something about this life that's very helpful, and there can be a freedom. Uh, for someone else, or uh, it might be that that dualism between the fabricated and unfabricated just just kind of creates a um, dismissal and a disconnect from this life of perception, from the fabricated world, um, in a way that isn't that helpful. And then one's got just this thing that I kind of want to get back to, this unfabricated, and um, what about this world of fabrication? Now another person, another practitioner, another student, um, coming in, maybe um, really getting interested in this question of dependent origination and fabrication, how self, other world, get fabricated through different forms of clinging and to what degree, and and kind of watching this um, movement up and down the spectrum of fabrication. And they've never had a full cessation experience. It's never been for them that everything completely disappears. But they see this um, movement of the fading, relative fading of perception to different degrees, maybe really deep, and then, and then fabricating up and down, up and down on this spectrum. They see its dependent dependency on the way of looking. They see the dependency on clinging. And because they see it, they understand dependent origination um, more and more. And even without experiencing a complete cessation of all um, perception, a, a complete unfabricating of, of perception, of all perception. That understands moving up and down at some point, the intuition, the intuitive wisdom just gets it. I don't even need that experience. I just 
I grasp it in science that inductively. I just understand something. Um, and this brings, they haven't had a cessation experience, but it brings a liberation that is greater than the, the other person that I alluded to who's had the cessation experience, got the certificate from the side or whatever, um, but hasn't understood dependent arising, hasn't understood the relationship of the fabricated to the unfabricated and, and how fabricating works, um, dependent on way of looking, dependent on, on um, clinging. And different different degrees and kinds of clinging. Um, so that's some something uh, I know. Some some of you will be uh, will be important for some of you to know. Um, it also seems to me more and more um, as I as I hear from more students, etc., and um, that one can have, of course, a, a, a sort of what we might call a full cessation experience. It's a fully vivid and kind of immediate, in the sense of unmediated um, uh, opening to the un- sense experience of the unfabricated. In other words, there's no, there's nothing else going on. There's no, all, all other perception has stopped. Um, or, at different times, and I, I, I remember saying this in a Q&A on some retreat in the last few years in response to a question. Um, I think I think I remember. Um, or one can have um, a, a, a kind of, I don't know, a, a, a sense of it, an intimation of this kind of, this, this dimension that should be known, kind of shining through, if you like, um, the experience of this world. Um, Now, certainly one will get that that sense, or so, some people get that um, sense of the shining through of the unfabricated after they've had a sort of complete cessation experience. But I, I think it's also possible for some people to kind of get it before they've really fully opened up to it. Um, and something of the genuine unfabricated shining through. We have to be a little careful here because... Um, and again, some of you who will n- know, uh, um, let's say, the uh, different jhanas, especially as it gets into the for- form- formless realms, etc., um, will know that in the, uh, what I call the after-effects on perception of a different jhana, it's quite common for that um, perception to, to kind of shine through the world of the fabricated, this world of experience and perception. Um, and so what we can get is all kinds of onenesses can shine through. The oneness of cosmic love, the oneness of cosmic consciousness, the oneness of awareness, the oneness of nothingness, etc., etc., um, can can be sensed as shining through as we are moving about in the world with our senses open there's this mystical shining through and the blessedness of that uh, there's actually many different versions so how do we discern the, the, the so to speak genuine unfabricated I think it's difficult I, I, I would say though that the unfabricated is characterized um, if we can say that by, by being timeless it's beyond time. It's somehow not even a now, not even a present. 
And so if there's that quality of, we could say eternity, but let's say timelessness, um, not even, it's like beyond, not just beyond past and, and future, but beyond present as well. That quality shining through is particularly characteristic of the unfabricated, this dimension that the Buddha said should be known. And also, secondly, and connected with what I uh, mentioned earlier about how the Buddha talked about this realm, is that it's kind of got this, is it or is it not aware? Um, it, it, would, it, uh, it doesn't quite feel right to uh, to say it is aware uh, in in the usual sense of awareness um, a because it's not in time b it has no object and it doesn't quite feel right to say it's not aware um, so those two elements the timeless and this kind of yeah, middle way of whether it is or isn't aware um, perhaps uh, uh, can, uh, can help in kind of discerning whether it's that unfabricated coming through shining through So one one version, as as um, I hope you can hear, I'm, I'm actually really not interested in, in selling you any particular version um, of all this. But one one way of thinking about it, and I can't remember if I shared this in talks before or just individually with certain students. But one way of thinking about awakening, or a uh, sort of metaphor I had, was of let's say a ball bearing in a YouTube. Um, and uh, so this ball bearing can be when 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 the, when the tube is shaken, the uh, the ball bearing can kind of zip up the sides of the tube. Um, with uh, and 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 up the sides of the tube um, indicates kind of uh, away from the the bottom point of the U. I hope you can picture this, like at the at the bottom of the U. Um, that's the point of um, knowing the emptiness of everything, knowing the dependent origination of everything, um, and everything means um, self. Excuse me. Any phenomena, awareness, time, the now, you, you name it. Um, so this is this is one one view, um, and. Uh, so one, one, the ball bearing can be right there in in the knowing of that emptiness, and and then out of that comes uh, the, the freedom from suffering because we know that things are empty, and there isn't the clinging. Um, with a stream enterer, it's like a, 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 the the knock of uh, you know the eight winds and the, just the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune and all that. Uh, knock the tube, and the ball bearing can go up the tube, climbing the walls. And as it goes up the tube, it's away from the kind of the uh, rootedness in that view of emptiness. So there is the kind of relative forgetting of that emptiness. I might know it somewhere in my being, but right at that point, I've lost access to it, and I'm caught up in rarefication and clinging and then dukkha. Um, in in that moment, the ball bearing is up, but because of gravity, at some point the ball bearing falls back. It falls back down the sides of the tube, and um, uh, and and reconnects with that place at the bottom uh, of of knowing complete emptiness. 
Um, so you can you can fill out this analogy if you like. Uh, it might be quite interesting. Um, an arahant, someone who's fully awakened, um, perhaps is someone who doesn't move from that that point at the bottom. Um, this, though, I have I have problems with, as uh, you can maybe guess, is that if I completely know emptiness thoroughly, utterly, and deeply all the time, or in, or rather, in the moment that I completely, thoroughly, and deeply know know the emptiness of all things, there will be a cessation of fabrication of perception. I won't perceive anything except the unfabricated. Um, so if an arahant is someone staying just exactly at the bottom, um, it doesn't quite work with this understanding. There's some, there's some conundrum there. Historically, I can't remember if I've explained this again, either just individually to people or on other retreats, I can't remember. But actually, out of that conundrum was one of the, 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 the philosophical uh, conundra that, that the Mahayana had to deal with. They had to come up with an answer. How does a Buddha get reborn into the world of perception so that he can save other beings and help them and be there um, with the world of form and all that when a Buddha knows all the time, 100% thoroughly, um, the, the utter emptiness of all things? Because if a Buddha is in that in that knowledge and with that knowledge um, in in the mind, then there isn't the fabrication of perception. So how can you be in the world? How is there a world then? So there's, you know, we could we could um, you know play with that analogy, or whatever. But I'm just pointing that out. And then the other stages of awakening might be that um, uh, just as for the stream entry, the ball gets knocked out, the ball bearing gets knocked out of that kind of center. Uh, center point of, of uh, stasis, lowest gravity, whatever, um, and gets knocked out up the, up the sides of the YouTube and then falls back down due to gravity, due to the, the stream of wisdom um, being in that momentum. Um, a once and non-returner would be someone who it gets knocked up, but perhaps less often, or, or the ball bearing rises less high, so it comes back more quickly to that uh, sense of emptiness and thus less clinging, less reification, and so more more freedom, or less suffering, less dukkha. Um, so that's one way of uh, you know I don't know if it's helpful, but but one kind of analogy or, or metaphor of of the stages of awakening um, that may be useful to some people. It's seemed useful to some people in the past. Um, if we dwell again just a little bit on um, on the ten fetters that the Buddha um, outlined, we, we touched on three of them for the stream entra. Um, for a once returner, the um, there's there's two other fetters um, uh, that a, a once returner um, makes a major dent in um, greed and aversion, sense desire. And sense, desire, and aversion, and um, and a non-returner has eradicated uh, uh, the, those two fetters, and then an arahant has five other fetters that they um, that they eradicate. So, so from non-returner to arahant, there's five more fetters. Um, the point I want to make, though, is that, and again, 
I really can't remember if I said this before in a talk, but um, notice that for the stream enterer, um, according to that theoretical scaffolding that the Buddha outlines with those ten fetters, the stream enterer has not made any impact on sense, desire, and aversion. Um, and uh, it's only at the stage of a once returner. So I'm saying this because sometimes what happens is uh, practitioners get really hung up on their relationship with sense desire, um, their relationship with food or whatever it is. And um, in this theoretical scaffolding, if we take it strictly, what the Buddha's point, it would seem that actually the first thing to address is the sakaya ditti and, and, and the other two fetters um, that go with stream entry. In other words, um, look at, in, in the vision that I, uh, in the outline that I gave, look at the fabrication. Explore fabrication, because through that you will um, see the emptiness of uh, any self-view. Um, which... Yeah, you, you would see the emptiness of any any and all self views. Um uh rather than you know worrying too much about your um y- y- your your greed or apparent greed or, or whatever. So it might suggest something about the order um of our practice of what we kind of aim for and preoccupy ourselves with, what we focus on. And this question of fabrication um, may be the one to look at first, um, and, and probably for a while, um, uh, and then and then out of that, building on that, the others um, may be easier. It's important, I think, to again. I'm saying much of what I'm saying is really. A, a response to um, the kinds of things that students bring or, or the kind of places it seems to me that it's often that people get stuck uh, or people get stuck often. So for me it's important to point out that when we talk about awakening we're not talking about an experience. So for some people certain experiences like an experience of the may be really significant but awakening itself is not an experience. Um, it's not an experience of no self, for example. And again, some of you know the, the way I tend to teach is that it's more that there is a spectrum of fabrication anyway. So when someone comes in and says, I had an experience of no self, in, in the way I would interpret things, it's really what they've had an experience of is usually a relative degree of less fabrication of the sense of self. The sense of self is is... On a spectrum, if you like, it can get fabricated more higher on the spectrum, so to speak, or much less, or much less, or much less. Um, So when people sort of say an experience of no self, they might mean an experience of the temporary quietening of the more gross personality um, constructs or beliefs or whatever. Um, But so, so there's really a spectrum of... Um, degree of fabrication of self. And something I need to understand about that spectrum. <coughs> um, but awakening is not an experience of no self um, or an experience of whatever. 
if it's an experience, then often what you get is someone say, I had this experience and it lasted for X amount of time. And sometimes it can be had this experience seem to last for months. Um, sometimes people people report. Again, one wonders about the, the closeness and level uh, and subtlety of discernment involved in um, in, in kind of scrutinizing what was actually involved in that experience. Was there really no self, uh, etc. Um, and, uh, and was it really uh, without fluctuations in, in, in that, let's say, several months or days or hours or whatever it was? Um, and then they say, I had this experience and it lasted X long and then now I've lost it. Um, and so I was, I was sort of, I, I was liberated, and now I've lost it. I was in uh, awakening or nibbana or whatever, and now I've lost it. To me, um, th- there's a problem in kind of clinging to any experience and calling that awakening, um, for, and, and for several reasons I've just touched on very briefly. Um, to me, I think, well, again, I'm, I'm just hoping this is helpful and really not trying to convince you of anything um, or insist on any point. But I think there's another kind of freedom that comes from um, uh, a kind of understanding, an understanding of that dependent origination, understanding of how fabrication of self and of phenomena works with clinging and understanding the implications of that. And when I say understanding, I don't just mean intellectual, I mean one's heart, in one's body almost. Um, and that understanding allows us, we understand, oh, the self is empty. The self-sense is a dependent arising. The self is a, a phenomenon. Um, it, and it gets fabricated more or less at different times depending on certain conditions. I know that it's empty. Because I know it's empty, um, I know it's a fabrication. It actually allows it to move up and down on that spectrum of fabrication. It can be more fabricated or less fabricated, appear less solid, appear very refined, appear uh, in this way or that way, appear as a process, appear as an atomistic um, yes, process of aggregates or a mist or, an, or a space or you know whatever, a vastness of awareness or... Uh, disappear completely at times uh, in cessation of everything. Um, but I, I understand, oh, it's just the fabrication of self. It's fine. It's really fine. So I'm not kind of trying to cling or believing that I should be in some kind of stasis of a certain experience of whatever it is, cosmic consciousness or no self or, or this or that. Um, understanding, really understanding, digesting a certain understanding allows um, fabrication to move up and down this um, spectrum, allows more or less fabrication of self. And we, we kind of understand, oh, self is not self. Self is not self. It's just this fabrication happening. It's not self. It's okay. It's okay to move on the spectrum. It's okay um, to to fabricate. It's okay that certain constructions arise. <clears throat> so in all this, and you know, you can hear that um, how I, if I, if I want to, um, or rather, when I uh, kind of map the Pali Canon 
uh, elements of the jigsaw, you know, I, I construct the jigsaw like this. My solution to the jigsaw tends to be like this. Um, and again, I'm not convince anyone, doesn't really matter. Um, but uh, you, you can hear that in, in what I've said, and I've outlined that elsewhere, I think, um, a fair amount. But, we, again, we can step back from this and kind of approach it with a different, a whole different uh, set of questions and ponderings and sort of probings in, in our approach. Um, how high is the bar for what we're calling awakening. How high is a different teacher or yourself or, or, uh, or you or I or anyone setting the bar for, say, stream entry? So in, in what you've kind of heard of, of what I alluded to, of my sort of solution of the jigsaw, yes, stream entry is, relatively speaking, it's a pretty high bar. Um, in fact, it's a, a very high bar com compared to some of the other possible ways uh, or interpretations that one could have. Um, seeing really the emptiness of all and any self-view, which involves seeing the emptiness of any and all phenomena. Because um, I have to, so for instance, um, to see that there is a process in time, um, if I then see further that, uh, or rather if I, if I decide that the self is a process in time of the psychophysical aggregates or the five aggregates, um, or the 18 sense constituents, or whatever, if I see that the self is that, um, or if I decide that's my self-view, um, to me that's still a self-view. It's still a self-view. I've decided that's what the self is, or I'm, I'm, I'm clinging to that pos position. And uh, uh, this sort of is where the Buddha kind of makes it clear that any, any self-view is, is uh, a, wrong, uh, a wrong view to be let go of. Um, but... More importantly, I think, when one uh, realizes that those elements of the process, the aggregates themselves, are empty of inherent existence. The body, the, the, the atoms, the Vedana, the, the moments of consciousness, time. So the elements of the process and the time it happens in are also empty. And that's like taking the... It's like dissolving the... Um, any possibility for forming a self you there. It can't form on anything. You can't say the, the self is the, the process of these elements in time because one has seen that time is empty and, uh, and not a reality. It doesn't form a basis for any kind of self you. And the elements themselves that make up this process or are involved in this process are also empty. So for me, I think, um, yeah, relatively speaking, it's quite high, high a bar. Um, just so you know, but um, but again, more interesting questions I would say, or questions that interest me more now is, are for instance, um, how much, as I alluded to in yesterday's talk, how much is um, the the inclination to measure myself and want to measure up or the pain of the inner critic um, uh, the dominance in our in our uh, psyche of the inner critic how much is that influencing um, the the decision or the view or the interpretation we adopt of where the bar is for say stream entry you understand um, 
why again? Why am I adopting this or that view? Is it actually in the background the inner critic is running the show and deciding what views I have and what practices or what um, uh, interpretations or views I'll turn away from? It's just it's just too, too painful because if I feel like I can't or I fail or the inner critic says you haven't yet or you can't or this or that and so does it pull all the strings actually? Or does it say just drop the whole thing with awakening. It's just way too painful. <clears throat> so that's one question. Uh, there's other questions, which are, as I said, we could argue over um, Pali canon etymology and different texts that seem to contradict each other, or this or that, or this one emphasizes this and another one emphasizes that. Um, to, to me, that's, as I said, much less interesting uh, at this point, for me, um, what's more interesting is is a whole other set of questions. So, for example, in setting a, the bar, if you like, or the definition uh, of, let's say, stream entry um, at one level or at uh, a more difficult level, let's say, what does that do? What's the result? So not so much what's the cause. I'd set it there because I've read this in the Pali Canon, or this word means this, or whatever. Um, but actually, what's the result? What kind of person is made when we set the, the, the bar here? And what kind of person is made when we include this in the bar? So what's the result? If I say um, just that stream entry is a kind of um, really softening of the inner critic, what, what kind of person is, uh, results from, from that kind of view? If I say it's um, uh, stream entry just means kind of going with the flow in one's life, what kind of person uh, results there? If I say stream entry means seeing uh, the, the, the radical emptiness of all phenomena uh, through, you know, dedicated um, exploration of uh, the, the mysteries of dependent arising. What kind of person results? What kind of person do we want? What makes an interesting person? What are we after? So, um, and as I alluded to at the, at the beginning of uh, yesterday's talk as well, um, can do we dare to bring a kind of radical questioning into all this, and even a bold questioning of what has got set up in terms of the meaning of awakening or stream entry or this or that, and different claims that people might have. Is that possible for us? Do we dare? What would, what would make that possible, even? What would justify that? And, again... We could ask, um, what is the soul's relationship, your soul's relationship with this question of awakening and of your awakening and your journey to that, or your uh, or this question of stream entry? What is what what does it mean for this to be a soul uh, soul question? And what is how does the soul hold that very question? How does it relate to um, awakening or relate to the possibility that um, there's this 
potentially different different interpretations there, and your movement towards that or opening towards that. Is there even uh, a soul relationship with these questions and notions, or or is it is it it just doesn't actually uh, the soul doesn't get involved in those questions? And those notions, and then if not, why not? Uh, and 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 without any preconceived answers of it should or it shouldn't, or what, but just what what's actually going on there on a soul level in relation to all these? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org/slash. Donate.